Bloomberg is obviously a capable manager. He's a skilled decision maker. He keeps a team of really smart, qualified people. That team knew that the first hour of this debate was going to be brutal, no matter what, as all of these opponents piled on at once. And they also know that they absolutely have to do better next week. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters. Right here, right now. The Debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, NBCNewYork.com slash HealthU, to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health. Life years ahead. So many got to see Michael Bloomberg on a national debate stage this past week. And of course, the reaction to his performance has been forthcoming. But for us here in New York, and in particular our government affairs reporter, Melissa Russo, we've seen him on a debate stage before. Melissa spent years covering him as mayor of the city of New York. And so she is on the campaign trail. She was in Iowa for all the drama that was there with the returns, and she certainly was in Las Vegas for all the drama that surrounded this debate. So we're trying to find her on the trail to talk to her to get her thoughts. We're going to call her now. Hi, it's Melissa. Melissa, it's David Ushery. How are you? Hi, David. How are you? Good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on the Debrief podcast this week. There's so much to talk to you about. I was a little unsettled with you not being here, so we grabbed your um, publicity photo, and we have it propped up here on the set as I talk to you. <laughs> okay. Right. Listen, I, as I explained in the intro to you, uh, for many people, this was the first time they saw Michael Bloomberg on a debate stage around the country, but I said Melissa Russo covered him for years mm -hmm. as mayor of the city of New York. You actually participated, I know, in debates uh, where he was a candidate. So we you just and want... I participated in them we, together. We did, didn't we? I was trying. To... You know, my memory gets a little fuzzy, but I was certain that we did at least one uh, with, with Mayor did. Bloomberg. You know, talk a little bit more about that, Melissa, because I, when sure. I watched it, I recognized him, and I know you did too. Uh, but you've been hearing the reaction pour in. Give us your thoughts. You were there on the ground in Las Vegas watching this. I wanted to get your initial impressions, and then we can talk more specific. Sure. So as you mentioned, money can buy you preparation. It cannot buy you the ability to perform under right. such intense pressure, right? And I can tell you the people involved in prepping Mike Bloomberg for this debate are some of the smartest people in the communications world. It's and that's like what I wanted to ask you about, because I know you've known them a long time as well. Yep. And I, you know, people said, what was, where was the prep? Where was the prep? I said, look, I know there was some prep. There was those plenty of, there was prep and the people who have been involved in the prep have, have indicated that the prep was tough. Um, it's not like they didn't predict the very questions that Mayor Bloomberg would face on that stage. So, you know, you can't help but wonder, how does that explain the mayor's performance? So let's go back a bit, right? I did cover Mike Bloomberg for more than 12 years. You watched him along with me. And right. It was sort of apparent from the beginning of Bloomberg's political career that he was a person from a corporate world, right? A world where conflicts are handled somewhere mm -hmm. behind closed doors, where you're not publicly grilled about your own mistakes. He was never really someone who was comfortable with the rough-and-tumble politics of a place like New York or certainly on uh, the stage in today's presidential arena. He always appeared sort of uncomfortable, maybe even embarrassed by the adversarial nature of a heated news conference or a debate. He grew more used to it over time, but I, I would venture to say he was never fully comfortable in that position. Behind the scenes, when you get him in an off-the-cuff moment, 
very different guy. Could be charming, comfortable, funny, if a little bit off color. And I have to wonder if that's a little bit of what's going on here. This tension between letting him go out and be himself at the risk of him saying something off color or goofy once in a while, but then you get the authentic Mike Bloomberg as opposed to the more scripted one. Um, Mike Bloomberg is not the best at delivering a prepared soundbite, right? And speaking to members of his team, you know, what they're saying now about all this is that the other five candidates on that stage are extraordinarily skilled. They've done this eight times before just in this race, let alone their previous races for public office. Right. Um, also, they admit that, you know, what we've been saying, this is not Mike's skill set, right? Bloomberg is not especially adept at spitting out memorized sound bites in rapid fire. The other five candidates on that stage are so good at it that they try to pass off the one-liners as if they're coming spontaneously out of their mouths, right? Right. Bloomberg is obviously a capable manager. He's a skilled decision maker. He keeps a team of really smart, qualified people. That team knew that the first hour of this debate was going to be brutal, no matter what, as all of these opponents piled on at once. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. And they also know that they absolutely have to do better next week. And, you know, the stakes were even higher for him because of his late entry into this race and his outside uh, spending. And so I'm not I'm not defending him. I definitely think he needed better answers on stop and frisk um, and on the history of the harassment claims in his company. These are questions he's answered before. He's grappled with for many, many years. I've sat. I've apologized. I've asked for forgiveness. But the bottom line is that we stopped too many people but the policy, we stopped too many people, and we've got to make sure that we do something about criminal justice in this country. There is no great answer to a lot of these problems. And if we took off everybody that was wrong on this, off this panel, everybody that was wrong on criminal justice at some time in their careers, there'd be nobody else up here. And I think he really does have better answers, but was unable to communicate them, which is really not good for his candidacy, as the rest of the country is sort of getting to know him for the first time. Melissa, did you hear anything into the calculus of having him participate in this debate in Nevada, though he was not on the uh, he's not on the ballot? And and just reminding some of our listeners and viewers, we're talking to you. We'll disclose the time now before the actual uh, full on vote. But uh, nevertheless, we want to react to this prior week. But any 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 discussion. Well, so my take on this when he first jumped into the race was, gee, is he going to participate? And I spoke to his people about it right away, and they said, well, he can't participate, right, because he wasn't accepting campaign donations, which was a ground rule and eligibility criteria to get into those debates. And I, my sense in the early uh, weeks of this race was that I think they were probably happy about that. They'll deny that. But I, I think they might have been happy to let his ads do the talking in the beginning of this campaign because if you need to prepare a message and craft a message and make it specific then to have him just jump into the field, you right. know, not really ready for prime time. But the pressure started to build. Um, ironically, initially, some of his rivals and Bernie Sanders to this day doesn't feel he should be allowed on the stage. But his rivals were saying, wait a minute, how come we have to answer all the tough questions? And he doesn't. It's right. time for him to come out from behind his ad. So once the DNC changed the eligibility rules, it would be really hard for someone who's spending that much money on pre-prepared um, commercials. I think to get away with, once they say, okay, Mike, you can join the stage for him to say no, would have been perilous for him. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, so the characterizations of some of his team uh, in in the press have been, they were certainly uh, um, 
unsettled by the performance, but how would you characterize them characterize them now moving forward in terms of how, how do, how do I strategy? think? Well, you know, I think I think he needs better answers. I think he knows that. Um, hopefully, his team, for his sake, would be watching his performance with him and helping him figure out how he can um, explain really clearly. And he's not a succinct um, speaker. Right. You know, I, I, you know, it's bad when you're seeing reporters in the spin room shaking their heads because they felt like they could have done a better job of defending Mike Bloomberg uh-huh. than Mike Bloomberg did, right? right. It just appears that he was not prepared for how skilled his rivals were at taking him apart and doing it really quickly. Mm. Um, There's another thing here, which I don't think we'll ever hear Bloomberg or his team talk about, and no one is saying this to me, because they are loyal, the Bloomberg people, and they don't throw their people under the bus. But, But I think that that is that Bloomberg relied very heavily on his team at the NYPD when he was mayor. And this is just on the subject of stop and frisk that I'm talking about. Good. I was going to ask you about that. Go ahead. Yeah, because, you know, you wonder, how does he not have a better answer for this? Commissioner Ray Kelly was a fierce defender of stop and frisk, both publicly and privately. Right. Um, We know that there were discussions. We know that Mayor Bloomberg at some point sat with him and asked him, wait a minute, are we going too far here? None of that means that the buck doesn't stop with Mike Bloomberg. He obviously has to take responsibility for the treatment of people of color in his boroughs during his tenure. And and we saw him late in his term as he began to do that. Um, But I am venturing an educated guess that if he was being fully forthcoming about his thought process and why he didn't act sooner, he might say that his top cops were warning him that crime will go up if they eliminated the practice. And that was not something that he um, wanted to see happen. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it okay in retrospect. Right. Um, still a really difficult subject to, to explain, especially now when other people are tuning in for the first time and hearing these um, right. <laughs> you know, potentially devastating recordings of him talking about it right. in, in what sounds like a very um, crude way. But you know, I don't cover, covering Bloomberg for 12 years. I don't think he's a racist. I, um, I think he really does regret um, what happened under his under his time, but um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you know he has to contend with that now. Well, you know, the one thing I wanted to ask you about too, because as I, I look at it, is you know I always felt he was so data driven, and he was getting these numbers and looking at numbers, and he felt like, well, this is the solution according to my police commander, so this is what I'm going to do. And again, not offering a way of an excuse, but I just felt, if you remember, it seemed to me the tone and tenor during the Giuliani years between. The administration and the community had much more of a racial tinge, yeah. but then the stop and frisk became, you know, an overriding narrative. And not to yep. say it should have been dismissed, but was that your sense too? It's kind of yes. baffling to me that that doesn't. I guess yes. Giuliani's not a candidate in this race. It's true, having covered both mayors, there right. seemed to be much more uh, contentious, regular coverage with the mayor being um, grilled about aggressive policing. You remember, obviously the. Amadou Diallo and Abgar yes. cases um, under the Giuliani years. And there were some under, under Bloomberg as well. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because history has a way of rewriting itself. You know, um, Bill de Blasio ran a whole campaign for mayor. Arguably the reason he won was, you know. Um, stop and frisk. Anti- yeah, stop, stop and frisk. Yeah. And, but, but um, and, you know, and I could go back and pull the tape, David, but I did a story early on in the de Blasio administration where he claimed credit for stopping stop and frisk. But we actually pointed out at the time, very early in the de Blasio years, years that Bloomberg had actually curtailed the process, brought it down. He says 95 percent now. That's the number he's using on the campaign trail. I don't know if it was quite that number, mm-hmm. but he did overwhelmingly um, stop and scale back stop and frisk. And I was with him when he went to um, churches 
black churches, a tour of black churches throughout the city, um, speaking about this when he was still mayor, saying, look, I know we've gone too far. I know it's wrong. I don't feel okay about it. We're going to, we're going to, we're, we're not going to end it. We're going to mend it, right? right? The practice. Um, so, you know, de Blasio will claim that, that he single-handedly stopped stop and frisk. And it was definitely something he campaigned on. He believed in stopping right. it, but uh, he wasn't responsible for the greatest number of stops in, you know, in my, in my reporting. All right. So let me ask you this before we let you go. You're, you're going to be on the ground at some point in South Carolina, correct? Yeah. Okay. You're going to be talking to people there. So we know the stop and frisk narrative, certainly here in New York City. Um, and we know uh, a lot of people uh, really scrutinize the African-American vote in South Carolina for a lot of the candidates here. What are you going to be looking for? What are you going to be talking to people about when you're there? Well, interestingly, we may not be super focused on Mayor Bloomberg in South Carolina, only because he is not on the ballot there. Right. Um, right. So, you know, that narrative is is interesting, and we'll certainly ask people what they think. And Bloomberg is debating in South Carolina um, before uh, the, right. the primary there. So people very may very well have a reaction, mm-hmm. um, and and to whether he, you know, we'll see whether he's able to recover there. But um, we'll be looking to see whether people have um, maintained their support for Joe Biden. Um, we will be looking to see how uh, Bernie Sanders is faring there because Sanders has um, struggled some mm-hmm. with communities of color. Um, and we'll be looking to see are people looking for a, a moderate or, or progressive. It's this issue that keeps coming up now. Um, right. The fact that a majority of Democratic voters who cast ballots so far have chosen a more centrist or modern candidate, but there are so many of them in the race that they are splitting the vote. And uh, the question is whether there's any significant movement that that changes that equation. All right. Well, you raise a good point, not on the ballot, but again, especially after this first debate, there'll probably be a lot of eyes on him in that South Carolina debate as he tries to set up this Super Tuesday strategy down the road. Yep. Which comes a couple of days later. It's about three days after that Bloomberg will be on the ballot in 13 states. All right. Well, we miss you here at 30 Rock, but we certainly appreciate your your solid, dogged reporting there. And and it does become a little bit of a local story for us with Bloomberg and the race. I have your picture here, so I was comforted. Thank you. Good luck. We'll see you soon. I hope it's a good picture, David. It's great. It's your publicity photo. Good luck, Melissa. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, David. Have a great day. All right. Thank you for joining us on the Debrief Podcast. We want to thank our producers, Jesse Edwards, Ben Berkowitz from the digital team. I'm your host, David Usher, coming from our busy newsroom here at 30 Rock. We will check you next time on the Debrief.